We started a series last week entitled, What's in a Name? Trying to find a little bit more about the Christmas story by looking at the names given to our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, on the day that he was born. We looked last week at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. Today, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 through 23, and we're going to look at these words under the title, His Name is Emmanuel. However, in order to understand the significance of this name, we've got to take a trip in time. So I want you to place your finger in Matthew chapter 1 and flip over to Isaiah. Keep your finger in Matthew, flip over to Isaiah chapter 7. Specifically, I want you to turn to Isaiah 7 verse 13. And while you're turning there, let me kind of tell you the story, because this will help us understand the significance of this verse. When these words were first spoken, the people of Israel, the people of Judah, were being oppressed by the people of Syria and the northern kingdom of Israel. They were under attack, and Jerusalem was under siege. And so Isaiah the prophet came to Ahaz, the wicked king. Ahaz was the wicked king of the southern kingdom of Judah. And he told Ahaz, he encouraged him, he said, Ahaz, I want you to call upon the Lord for your deliverance. If you'll call upon the Lord, the Lord will deliver you from your enemies of Syria and the northern kingdom of Israel who is surrounding you at this time. Ahaz said, and matter of fact, Isaiah even told him, said, Ahaz, put God to the test. Ask anything that you want and God will hear it. Ahaz says, I will not put God to the test. I will not ask God. Now, at first you think Ahaz is being a little pious. I mean, because none of us want to ask God. You know, we want to put God to the test. We don't want to do that. There's only one time in scripture, other than this one, that God ever told us to test him. And that was in Malachi chapter 3 when he says, test me and I'll see if I not pour out heaven's blessings upon you. So we, we would be, well, maybe like Ahaz, we wouldn't want to be uh, presumptuous and, and, and put God to the test. But I want you to know Ahaz was not being pious. What Ahaz was trying to do was avoid the question. He was trying to evade that because Ahaz had already taken matters in his own hand by forming an alliance with the king of Assyria to attack Syria and Israel and destroy them. So he'd already made his alliance with that. And so in that context, in that situation, the prophet Isaiah speaks to Ahaz in verse 13. He says, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The key to understanding this passage is that word you in verse 13. In verse 11 and verse 12, Isaiah went to Ahaz and said, Ahaz, I want you to ask God for a sign. Ahaz says, no, I'm not going to do it. So now God turns around through the prophet Isaiah, and instead of speaking to Ahaz directly, he changes it and he speaks to the people of Israel or the people of Judah directly. The you in that verse 14 that you see is in the plural. So he says, I'm avoiding Ahaz. Now I'm speaking to the people of Judah themselves. And he goes, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah's words 
encourage the people that God was with them. He had not forsaken them. Remember what was going on. They were under siege. And God says, what's going to happen? And what does happen in that passage is that they are delivered from their, their attackers. And they are set free once again in the midst of the attack from Syria and the northern kingdom of Israel. And so Isaiah's words brought hope. Isaiah's words brought encouragement to the people of Judah. But the words meant more than even Isaiah himself probably knew at that time. The words foretold a birth of a child that would be born sometime in the future. So fast forward 700, over 700 years. For over 300 years, God had not spoken to the people of Israel. They felt that they had been abandoned. They were ruled by a foreign power. They were oppressed. They were burdened. They were living in bondage once again. They thought they had been forgotten by God. And they were wondering, had God abandoned us? Had God forsaken us? Was God with us anymore? Turn to Matthew chapter 1. In the midst of their situation, in the midst of their doubt, in the midst of their fears, in the midst of, of their abandonment, God once again communicated to the people that he had not abandoned them. God appeared in the form of a dream and he spoke to Joseph. In verse 21, he said, you give birth to a child, you'll name him Jesus because he will save his people from the sins. And Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, looked back in time to another event that happened long ago, over 700 years early, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote these words, Matthew 22, 1, 22 through 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be a child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I was listening to a program a couple of weeks ago on radio, and it said that the virgin birth could not happen. It's scientifically impossible for the virgin birth to happen. So because of that, the whole virgin birth needs to be thrown out of the scripture. Here's the problem with that. They are looking at the virgin birth through a scientific lens. You can't look at it through a scientific lens because it cannot be explained by science. It can only be explained as a miracle. A miracle is something that happens supernaturally outside of the natural. If we could explain it naturally, it would not be supernatural. It was a miracle. So therefore, it stays and through the eyes of faith, we understand that story. <coughs> it does not need to be explained scientifically for us to believe it happened. With the birth of Jesus, God offered hope in the name Emmanuel. With that name, Emmanuel gave assurance of his presence to the people at that time. Now, we have no record that Jesus ever called himself Emmanuel. We have no record that anyone in the Gospels, anyone else, ever called Jesus by the name Emmanuel. Yet the book of Matthew begins, he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And that word, Emmanuel, brought hope to the people in the midst of Isaiah's time. It brought hope to the people of God in the midst of 
Joseph's time in the midst of the New Testament. And guess what? It still brings hope to us today. It still hopes, brings hope to us. And what a great truth we can claim. God in Christ means that God is with us. He's with us in this world in which we live. He's with us in this community in which we live. In this Christmas season, we can have the assurance of God's presence. There's nothing going on in this world that God's not here. Nothing. God's with us in spite of what's going on around us. But I don't want to talk about so much how God is with us in this world in which we live, in this community in which we live. I want to talk about how God is with us in our personal lives. What it means to have God with us personally. Too many of us consider God is not interested in our personal trials, in our personal tribulations, in our personal troubles. I want you to know God takes an interest. God is concerned about us. Let's consider Mary. What do we know about Mary? 14, 15 years old, probably. She's engaged to a man. That's scary enough in itself. But yet, suddenly she finds herself pregnant. And it's not with the man that she's engaged to nor with any other man. What's she going to do? The law says that she could be stoned. What's going to happen to her? She's afraid. She's in fear. But yet, God comes to her in the midst of her doubts, in the midst of her fears, and says, Mary, Mary, don't be afraid. I'm going to get you through it. I'm going to get you through it. Consider Joseph. The Bible says that Joseph was a righteous and a devout man. He loved the law. He loved God. But yet the woman that he loved, the woman that he had committed to, that he was engaged to, the woman that he loved and was going to commit the rest of his life to, suddenly she is pregnant. And he knows it's not his child. Guys know those things. He knew. But what was he going to do? The law was justified. He could take her out into the streets and stone her publicly. And no one would think the worse of Joseph. He was perfectly within his rights. But Joseph didn't know what to do. He thought about putting her away privately by divorce to maybe save her and so that he could move on. But God came to him in the midst of that struggle. God came to him in the midst of that, that situation. God came to him in the midst of that circumstance. He said, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. I'll get you through it. I'll get you through it. Consider the life of King David. We preached, preached 18 sermons on David uh, several months ago. So you know all about David. Or you know a lot more about David. David was a man who lived his life running from King Saul. Many times King Saul tried to kill David, tried to put him to death. David had problems with his enemies without and enemies within. He had problems in his family. He had problems in marriage. He had family problems with his, his political advisors. David lived life of problems. 
But toward the end of David's life, as he looked back over his life and he reflected on his life, he wrote these words, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is with me. He was with me when I was young. He was with me in the middle years of my life. And he's with me in the latter years of my life. The Lord is my shepherd. And the Bible is full of examples of God coming to people and being with them in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the troubles, in the midst of their tribulations. God never abandons his people. He never does. We may abandon him. But he never abandons us. That's what Emmanuel means to us. It means that God is with us. Jesus promised this to his disciples when he ascended into heaven. He said, I, I, I'll, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Isn't it interesting that Matthew begins his gospel with God is with us and he closes his gospel with the phrase, I'm with you always. It's the bookends. It's the bookends. It begins with God is with us and it ends. He's with us always. God is with us through the trials and the struggles of life. God is with us when things are not going right. He's with us when there appears to be no escape from the problems we face. He's with us when we make a mess of our life. He's with us when life closes in on us on all sides. The message of Emmanuel is God is with us. I read the story of a, of a pastor who kept getting Christmas cards from an elderly woman. He said, but she, he realized she was getting older in life. She lived on a, on, a, on a family farm with her and her sister. Everybody else had moved away and, and they were in their 80s and they did their best to take care of the farm, but it was a mess. It was dilapidated. And he didn't know how they made it. They, they made it the best they could, trying to hold it together. And he would get a Christmas card from her and scribbled on the Christmas card. And her, her, her handwriting was these words, Our Lord comes to us even in the midst of our mess. Our Lord comes to us even in the midst of our mess. That's what it means. God in Christ, he is with us in the midst of of our mess. No matter what your life looks like, no matter what you have been through, no matter what you are going through or what you will go through, I want you to know that God is with you. God is with you every step of the way. You know how it works in our life. A friend calls you one evening and says, can I come over? And you go, uh, uh, sure, but let me clean up the mess. It's like we don't think we can enjoy the visit unless we clean up the mess in our life. And for many of us, that's the way we think it is with God. God wants to have a relationship with you. God wants to have intimacy with you. And we say, let me first clean up the mess. Let me clean up the mess of my life. And when I clean it up, God, then you and I can have a relationship. And God says, no, I want to come to you in the midst of your mess. He said, you don't need to clean up for me to have a relationship with you. Let me come and live with you. Let me come and be, be a relay in a relationship with you, and I will help you clean up your mess. You see, we get it backwards. If we could clean up the mess on our own, guess what? We wouldn't need Jesus. But the fact of the matter is, we can't do it on our own, so we need Jesus to come in and clean our house. And that's what we need in our own lives. 
The fact that God sent his son, Emmanuel, is proof that God wants to come and clean up the mess in our life. Think about it. He was born in a stable, not in a mansion. That he might identify with the homeless of our world. He was born in Bethlehem and not in Athens, so he might identify with the hungry masses. He grew up in the home of a carpenter rather than the home of Caesar, that he might identify with the working class. He was born of a Jew and not a Greek, that he might identify with the oppressed, the despised, and the rejected of all times. He was born and reared in the crossroads of the world that touches Africa, Asia, and Europe because he belonged to the whole world. And he died on the cross and not in a hospital to share the suffering of the world. That's who Jesus is. What does all this mean to you and me? What does this mean, this fact that God is with us? The writer of Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18 says it this way. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He's able to help those who are being tempted. He goes on and says in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, he said, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because Jesus, because Jesus became one of us, he understands us. He relates to our sin, and He is, can better minister to us in our time of need because He knows what we're going through. He understands. He experienced it just like you experience it. He knows exactly what you're going through. God is with you in the midst of that. God is with you. God is with us regardless of our position in life. God is with us no matter what we may have done. God is with us in the midst of the chaotic times we may be experiencing. God is with us when we make a mess of our lives. Whatever the circumstances are, whatever the situation is, God is with us. God is with us. And Matthew emphasized that the birth of the Christ child of Christmas provided assurance of God's abiding presence for those who acknowledge his unique identity. This morning, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is with you. This morning, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is with you and he is with you always. Do you have the assurance of God's abiding presence in your life this morning? I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about if your roles are on some church. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about do you have the assurance of God's presence in your life today? You see, it's not enough 
that Jesus was born in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. That's not enough. That's a fanciful little story. But if all it is is a story to you, then it doesn't change your life. You see, it's not enough that Jesus was born in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. He has to be born again in your life. He has to be born again in your life. You have to open yourself up to his presence in your life. The Bible says that Jesus and God are one. I know it defies our ability to understand it. It's what they call the Trinity. And, and it messes up. How can God be God? How can he be Jesus? And how can he be the Holy Spirit? It's three in one. It's one God, but he reveals himself in three distinct ways. It, it defies our ability to understand it. The best way we know it in our own life is that we are, we are the, the, the triad of our own life. We are, we are physical, we are spiritual, but we also have this soul. It's the best way we can understand it. But we just cannot grasp this idea that God, that God looked down upon this earth. He said, I love my people so much. I love my creation so much, but they've strayed away from me. They've sinned and they missed the mark that I have for their life. And I can't have a relationship with them because sin separates them from me. But I love them so much. He's talking, to, what can I do? What can I do? He says, I know what I'll do. I know what I'll do. I'll become one of them. I'll become one of them. And I'll pay the price that they could never pay. I'll cover their sins. I'll pay the price. I'll ransom myself for the good of humanity. And so he incarnated himself. And he came in the form of a little baby at Bethlehem. And he lived a sinless life as the writer of Hebrews alliterates to us. He formed a sin, came a sinless life, but then he was crucified on a cruel cross. And as he was hanging on that cross, he said, Oh, Father, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. But they don't know what they're doing. Every time they're sin, they don't know what they're doing. And the Bible says that Jesus cried, Oh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And for the first time, for the first time, the Trinity was broken. Do you realize that? For the first time, the harmony and the relationship that God, Jesus, and the Spirit had was broken because God had to turn his back on sin. God cannot look at sin. He cannot have a relationship with sin. That's why Jesus bore it all for you. So that God could have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And Jesus Christ shed his blood for you. Now the world says, man, we stopped that. We stopped that Jesus teaching. We stopped it. <laughs> but you know the rest of the story, don't you? You know what happened, right? On the third day. <laughs> On the third day, he rose from the dead. I like the metaphor, let's say he stuck his tongue out at death. He said, death, you have no control over me. Why? Because I am the author of life and I am the author of death and you have no authority over me. And on that moment, Jesus conquered sin at the cross and he conquered death at the grave. 
And he said, I long to give it to both of you. Forgiveness of your sins and life everlasting in a relation with me. That's what Beth, that's what God is with us means, folks, that he is with us. But we have to embrace him. We have to accept him. The Bible says there's no other way to get to God except through Jesus Christ. He's the way. He's the truth. He is the life. But once you come to Jesus, once you accept him, you're no longer condemned. Because God cannot condemn his own son. And he paid the price for your sins. So this morning, we want to give you an opportunity to respond to what you've heard. God is with us. Do you know Jesus Christ personally as your Lord and as your Savior? Do you have a relationship with him where he is literally God with you? Once you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, your sins are forgiven. The Bible says God comes and sets up household in your life. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in your life. And Paul writes in Corinthians that the Holy Spirit testifies that with your spirit that you are a child of God. You are a child of God. That's one of the things he does. He continually confirms your relationship with him. He convicts you of sin. He confirms your relationship with him. And he challenges you to be more and more like Christ. He convicts, he confirms, and he challenges your life. Some of you today, for the very first time, need to quit hanging on to religion and instead hang on to relationship of Jesus Christ and make him Lord of your life. What have Kip's going to come, lead us. Marilyn's going to come and play. Cassie come and play. Offer you an opportunity to respond to what you've heard this morning. God is with us. I'll be here at the front. Josh is going to make his way. Marcy's going to come up. Maybe you want to pray with someone. You want to talk with someone. We'll be here for you. Just here to talk, here to pray with you, just to counsel with you, whatever we can do. We want to give you that opportunity. Maybe you need to unite with this body of believers. We want to invite you to do that. If you want to be in a place where you can serve, you can minister, and you can be served, and you can be ministered to, we want to invite you to come. Would you stand with me as I lead us in a time of prayer?